Good morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you that did not grow up in the Anglican Church, a vestry is just simply a board of directors. It's the folks who we partner with to um, lead and support and walk through the good stewardship that we're called to lead and, and engage as a church. And so if you're curious about that, I hope you'll join me uh, at the end of this service. A few of us are going to be in that uh, chapel just on the other side of this wall. And if you know people, like Adrian said, please nominate them. Uh, we're going to be going through a whole process of nomination going into uh, the next couple of weeks. I want to say three things before I preach. Number one, um, everybody look to the back. So Katie is standing back there, and Sarah is like eight feet from her. Katie just finished seminary a couple of weeks ago, so let's celebrate her. And Sarah is just a few months away from finishing it. I just want to say to the two of you, I love you both so much. Um, I feel old when I hang out with people that are in their 20s who are doing this ministry work. And in a good way, I feel like God is raising up leaders in our church. And I just want to say to the two of you, I'm just so thankful for you and so proud of you. Um, secondly, uh, my wife and I were watching a movie called The Menu this week, um, which is sort of dark and pretty awesome. And this guy on the front row has a legitimately significant part in that movie. And so, Matt, I just want to say to you, like one of our own, um, doing awesome stuff. I had no idea that you were in that movie. And then we were watching it, and then all of a sudden, you're there, and you're talking to Ralph Fiennes. And I was like, oh my gosh. So just amazing to me, the creativity in this church and the gifting in this church, men and women in the acting community, um, it just is such an awesome thing to see people of faith in spaces, specifically this movie. I mean, I, you know, Brad once validated Game of Thrones, I, you know, in a sermon. <laughs> this movie has some social commentary that I think is worth thinking about. So, and one of our own features. So watch the menu. And if it makes you uncomfortable, I'm not validating it like writ large. I think it's pretty great. And I think he's pretty great. Yes, that's all I'm going to say about that. And um, go dogs, right? We got one day before a repeat uh, for the Bulldogs. So um, yes, that's all I want to say about that as well. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to John 14. We are going to, over the next four weeks, uh, five weeks, uh, we're going to be engaging what we call our calling here as a leadership community, our five core commitments. And over the last year, our leadership team has been working with our vestry, our staff, and we have been wrestling with God on where he is leading us in terms of creating a corporate rule of life. And I am so excited about what God is doing. Uh, this has been for us a really, really enriching experience. And so for the next five weeks, including today, we are going to be preaching through a biblical text that corresponds to one of these five core commitments. So I'm going to be kicking us off today. And beginning today at 4.30, we're going to be gathering from 4.30 to 6 in our chapel to have a conversational space, a class on these core commitments. And I want to invite you to come back um, if you can and uh, experience this with us. We are taking a step in articulating what we believe the Lord has really called us to do. And I am so energized by this. Our team has been working so hard and it just feels like we're taking a step into naming some of these things uh, that are going to constitute a kind of trellis whereby we do ministry uh, that will, I believe, affect you and impact you if this is your home over time. Uh, so first, let's put the slide up with the five core commitments. So here's where we are. Uh, we exist to be a joyful community of disciples who together experience the love of God and life in the Holy Spirit. 
invite people into friendship with Jesus, embody practices and postures that lead to the restoration of our whole person, make space for meaningful and reconciled relationships, and participate in God's kingdom work by using our gifts locally and throughout the world. This is where we're headed in terms of funding these ideas. And I don't mean money funding. I mean like funding them with our whole heart. Today, we're going to be looking at what it means to experience the love of God and life in the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John 14. I'm going to read beginning in verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. On that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Listen to that. We will come to them and make our home with them. Such beautiful language. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. I've said these things to you while I'm still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I'm coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you this before it occurs so that when it does occur, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us be on our way. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray and then let's try to hear Jesus. Father, we thank you for the Bible. Father, we thank you for Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the love that you, Father, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit share with one another. And we pray that we would enter into that love. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. In August of last year, I fell apart. And I had some inkling that I was falling apart, but I wasn't present enough to my own heart, my own life to really realize it until it was too late. And I took four months away from ministry and life, and during those four months, I wasn't really sure if I was going to make it. And by make it, I, I mean I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to come back into this space, if I would have hope, joy, life, confidence in God or myself or the work that he had called me to. And I remember sitting at the river off of Acres Mill Road um, where there's just a beautiful coffee shop and you can get into a Walton apartment community during the week and drink coffee. And I remember sitting there uh, actually laying down on a blanket under... Um, trees just staring up at the at the sky and 
that was like the worst, probably lowest season of my whole life. I felt shot. Um, I just felt, um, I felt completely undone. I remember there was a, a time during that few weeks where I, um, where I would go all the way out to the river and find myself hungry and not be able to make a decision about where to go eat. Um, it was terrible. It was like, I couldn't decide. I, I, I remember one day in particular being so, um, so unable to engage that I, uh, I drove all the way back from the river to Hankook because I just knew Hankook. It was like Hankook was familiar to me. And it was like, I, I literally could not make a decision about where to eat. So I drove like way out of my way just to eat at a place that I wouldn't have to think about what to order or where to go. It was a terrible sign. Um, of something being desperately wrong inside my own life and inside my own heart. I, I just felt emptied out and I felt like such a failure. And I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like this in your own life, but there are inevitably times in our lives where we realize that we don't have what it takes to move forward. We just don't have enough energy, enough hope, enough strength, enough goodness, enough confidence, whatever it is, and we just find that we're out of, of gas. I actually don't think faith really works until we get to some of those places. Uh, because if we just are okay, then faith just is like a tack on, you know, to a good life or a full life or a meaningful life. We, we oftentimes will like bolt faith on. And that makes a lot of sense to an extent. But what it does is it sort of gives us enough. It's almost like an inoculation. It gives us enough to keep going and yet... We're missing something in that space. And so I've come to appreciate that devastation in my own life. Um, there is such a thing as severe mercy. We never choose it, though. We never choose to fall apart. We never choose to hit the wall. We never choose to see a relationship falter. We never choose to get sick. We, we want to be stronger, and yet there are these moments in life where we realize that we're not strong, that we don't have what it takes, that things don't always work out like we hoped they would. And I remember laying under that tree, and I remember thinking, God, if I don't figure out what it means to love you and be loved by you, this isn't going to work. And you're probably like me, you know, if you grew up with any kind of semblance of religion, you were taught to love God. Like that, that's like 101, right? When it comes to trying to be a person of faith, L love God. And yet for many of us, and I know there were times for me where this was more true than I ever really wanted to admit, loving God was like loving the president or like loving um, a dis, you know, someone behind a, a, a desk somewhere, somewhere else. And Many of us were like, God is powerful, God is real. I never in this whole deconstruction space doubted the reality of God. I just doubted whether or not I could really be truly loved, especially loved when I felt like a failure. And I remember laying under that, that tree and looking up at the, at the tree and thinking, if I don't figure out something about love, I don't think this is going to work. I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. 
And I've been wrestling now for two years on a deeper level than I, than I thought. I thought I'd solved a lot of this. I, and maybe you're like that. Maybe you get to places in your life and you just think back here again, like I, I've done this work. I, I've counseled many of you about what it means to know that you're loved when you are a mess, you know? So I, you know a thing and then you got to figure out how to know a thing on a deeper level. And for me, um, I remember asking the question, God, do I believe, I know I'm supposed to love you, but do I believe that you're lovable? like easily able to be loved. And similarly, can I believe that I'm lovable? That you, God, don't love me while holding your nose. You know, he loves you because he has to. Uh, some of us were taught that by our parents, you know. We're only, we were only not cast out because, the, you know, it would have looked bad. <laughs> Am I lovable? Is God lovable? And I'm not saying, are you perfect? I'm not saying... Are you always right? But does God love you because, he, because he, he has to, because he has to hold his nose? Or are you inherently lovable when it comes to the Lord because you're an image-bearing child of God? I think that for me, that's been the project of my life over the last couple of years. I don't think faith works unless we experience the love of God. Uh, I just don't think it really works. I, I don't think if we don't start from our belovedness, I think we're always going to miss something. We're always going to try to work our way back to some sense of being loved. And um, tonight we're going to have a real honest conversation around what it means to start with love and then work our way out versus trying to work our way back to love. Because I don't think you ever really get there. It occurs to me that the Holy Spirit is how we have access to an experience of God. And so... That's why we've married the idea of experiencing the love of God and life in the Holy Spirit. Because I think they go together. I think that that is primarily the Spirit's work is to remind us that we are loved by God, that we are Abba's children. Brendan Manning wrote a book, um, and he was a mess, Brendan Manning was. Um, and that's kind of like what I appreciate about him uh, because he wrote a book called Abba's Child. And it's one of the most fundamentally important books that you'll ever pick up. If you've not read Abba's Child, you should. You should buy it and read it. Uh, Brendan Manning was a, a Catholic priest who fell in love with a woman and then decided not to be a Catholic priest, got married to her, then got divorced. Uh, and then he wrote a book about being the beloved of God in the midst of the brokenness of life. And it's a pretty important, pretty important book. And if he could say he was loved, then maybe we all could say we're loved uh, by God. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And many of us have heard that from Jesus and we've got it all wrong from that point on because we thought, oh, this is about like minding my P's and Q's. This is about being, being good. The problem is you just can't be good on your own strength. It just doesn't work that way. You can't be good long enough. You can be good for a while, but not forever. What Jesus is saying is you can't think your way to the good life that, that truly obedience is about living out our love. And that's, I think, this thing that we've got to wrestle with. What does it mean for me to be loved and to love in such a way that I live out my love in a way that manifests a changed and transformed life? The change and the transformation, the formation of your character and mine must be the result of a loving union with God. Anything apart from that, we're workers on the field, workers on the farm, 
anything short of being beloved, anything short of being sons and daughters who are loved, as the parable of the prodigal son says, is just us trying to get a job back on the farm because we've been bad. And that's what he thought would happen, right? He thought, well, I'll go back and I'll just work on the, I'll work on the farm. Like I'll just, I'll just work on the edges of, of my father's world. And what did the father do in that moment? He ran to his boy with all the sin and all the rebellion and all of the hurt. And he said, you are my son. Apart from that connection, Something had to happen in me during that time of brokenness, and it's still happening because there are days where I believe it. There are parts of me that believes that I'm the beloved of God, and then there are parts of me that don't believe that. It's a process of formation, and it's really scary hard work because if you were beloved, if you were welcomed, and if God were loving, it would change everything. It would change the whole world. But maybe most fundamentally, it would change your world and mine. And I'm increasingly convinced that the project of my life is to recognize that I'm loved. And to love God. To enjoy him forever, as the Westminster Catechism says. So here's what Jesus says about how this works. He says, number one, we'll receive another counselor. And I love those words, another counselor, because what Jesus is saying when he says you will receive another counselor is he's saying you will receive another of the same kind. That word in the Greek language, another, doesn't mean like another, like you've got Matt and you've got Brooke. That's another person. He's saying another of the same essence, the identical kind of essence. Jesus is essentially saying, if you like me, you're going to really like the Holy Spirit. And we, we get Jesus more than the Holy Spirit. Let's just be honest. Because we know, you know, he, he was a person. He was a son. So if you've existed in like family systems, which all of us have, even if our family systems are really bad, we get like father-son relationships, father-daughter relationships. But for many of us, the Holy Spirit is like the weird uncle at your family reunion, you know? And I had lots of those. I mean, we had uncles in jail, uncles that should have been in jail, uh, I remember I had an uncle once who was let out of jail to come to my grandmother's funeral and like they walked in in like an orange suit and it was, you know, low-key distracting. <laughs> and a lot of us have thought like the Holy Spirit is that one, you know, like we're related, but let's not like, you know, get too close here because, and you know, Benny Hinn didn't help with that. Like televangelists didn't help with that. You know, they blame the Holy Spirit on their fundraising schemes and, you know, people acting real weird all the time. And so a lot of us just don't know a lot about the Holy Spirit. And so because of that, we just don't do some of the very simple things that Jesus told us to do regarding the Holy Spirit. And I would submit to you that because of that, we lack. We're missing something. So Jesus says, another counselor, if you like me, Jesus says, you will like the Holy Spirit. If you trust me, you can trust the Holy Spirit. So maybe the first step is just to remove 
suspicion or mitigate suspicion and say, oh, something's happening here. Two chapters later in John 16, Jesus actually goes so far as to say, it's good for you that I go away for unless I go, the spirit can't come. So Jesus happened to believe that it was actually really important that he ascend because something was going to happen when he ascended, namely the spirit would come. The second thing we see in this text is this idea that Jesus paints of an inner abiding. And I love this inner abiding. What he actually says is, two, two, now this is important, two followers of his prior to Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, he says to those who are pre the age of the Spirit, the Spirit is with you and will be in you. If you and me live in the age of the Spirit, the Spirit is both with us and in us. So we live in an era that is actually beyond where these friends of Jesus were before his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. We live in an era where we are not only with the Spirit, but the Spirit is in us. Um, I once heard somebody really wise say that the Holy Spirit and an experience of the Spirit is like buying, no, follow me, all analogies break down, so work with me. It's like buying a used car and in the used car, there is a tire iron a jack in the trunk. But because your tires are fine when you buy the car, you never explore the trunk, but you own the, t the tire iron is yours. It is not until you run into need that you begin to look in the trunk and discover that which is already there. When you become a Christian, you do not get two thirds of the Holy Trinity and then have to get the Holy Spirit later, but you might have to dig around in the trunk a little bit when the wheels fall off life. And then the Holy Spirit is there to be explored, pursued, and enjoyed. The Holy Spirit is there to do certain things in your life. What Jesus says is the Holy Spirit abides with you and will be in you. And I love the fact that the language for the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is paraclete, which means one who walks beside. Not, not a parakeet, but a paraclete. One who walks beside you. And some of us have had an experience of God where he runs in, in your mind. You think he runs so far out that you can never catch up to him. You spend your whole life trying to be really good and you, you lose him. Or you've experienced him behind you with a cattle prod poking you and driving you and it feels exhausting. The, the Lord says, no, the Spirit, God, walks beside us and wants to whisper and speak and converse and travel with us as we walk through life. And that's really, really important. And that leads us to the third thing. We are meant and invited to actively welcome and seek after the Holy Spirit. So a lot of people, because the Holy Spirit's like the weird uncle at the family reunion, our, our posture is like closed arm. Like, well, you know, if the Lord wants to do Holy Spirit things, like he knows where to find me. And, and you know, this is a tough posture, right? It's like, well, fine. If he wants that, I mean, I guess I'm not going to like tell him no, but, you know, you know. But we're told in the Bible to eagerly desire the Holy Spirit, to open up and seek, to look in the trunk. And maybe for you, the wheels are falling off and you need to start looking in the trunk to discover that which already has been gifted to you. We are meant to say, come Holy Spirit. The, the oldest codified prayer of the Christian church, three words, come Holy Spirit, over and over and over again. I pray that prayer every day, imperfect, but I pray it every day, come Holy Spirit. The way that I welcome the Holy Spirit is to say, come, is to make, say, make me aware. 
Some have referred to the Holy Spirit as the introverted person of the Holy Trinity. So I want you to think about that for a minute. The shy person of the Trinity. I remember when my uh, son was little, he's not little in any way now, he's 6'5". But when he was little, I remember my wife, her dad is a hunter, uh, an outdoorsman, and he, um, we went up there to hunt in LJ, and we got in a tree stand with guns. He was like nine years old. Um, I don't know if that was wise or not, but we were freezing to death, and Finn was, you know, really little, and he was just talk, 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 until he almost froze to death, and then he got quiet. And when he shut up, all the deer just came out of the woods. <laughs> and like, when we're running our mouth, we're like, there ain't no deer here. And then a minute we get quiet, it's like they just, they just come and start doing their thing. Uh, the Irish Christians called the Holy Spirit a wild goose. Elusive and beautiful. I have a big wild goose tattooed on the inside of my arm to remind me the Holy Spirit always wants to sneak up on us. But if we're not still and we're not present, and I just want to say to you, I've lived most of my life just trying to be good and do good and do the right thing and not enough of my life being still and being present. And you just miss so much when you're not quiet and when you're not still and when you're not present. And more than just missing that beautiful introvert in your life that you just walk right past, you also miss the Holy Spirit. We miss so much of what the Spirit wants to do. So tonight we're going to talk about some ways that we can slow down and actually welcome the Holy Spirit explicitly. But it can begin candidly with just a prayer. Come Holy Spirit. Give me eyes to see. Help me notice. And tonight I'm going to give you a job description of the Holy Spirit that will help you understand the kinds of things you want to be looking for when you start noticing. The fourth thing Jesus says is the Holy Spirit will be with us forever. The Holy Spirit reminds us that we're not alone. Jesus says there is another advocate who will be with you forever. And then he says, I won't leave you as orphans. And most of us, that idea of being left as an orphan gets to like our fundamental, it gets to a fundamental fear that most people have, which is just a fear of being left and fear of being alone. Um, I, I think, you know, I've read Kurt Thompson in The Soul of Shame says, you know, from infancy, babies are looking for the face of a parent and there's distress even in an infant when a parent turns away or a parent moves away. We from birth were made to look for faces and we are afraid when we don't find faces. And so most of us, our, our deepest fear is being alone. And Jesus looks at people who are terrified of being alone and says, the Holy Spirit wants to be with you and the Holy Spirit wants to teach you that you're not alone. God, we need that. God, I need that. Because I do most of my most desperate thinking and behaving when I think I'm alone, when I'm afraid that I'm alone. The Holy Spirit will be with us forever. The Holy Spirit is an adoptive father. God is an adoptive parent. Uh, such a beautiful idea because there's something about God as a doctor that moves toward lonely children and chooses them and then brings them into their home. One of the most powerful ideas, I think, in the whole of the scripture is that we've been adopted. We've been, we've been 
seen and bought by God, and the Holy Spirit helps us experience that nearness. I, I think in my own life, I've been asking God for more and more of an awareness of his withness. Because when you believe the lie that you're alone, when you believe that you're not, God is not with you, then we end up feeling desperately orphaned and alone. And the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, wants to remind us that we are not alone. And that speaks to an experience of God. And I want to say this to you. We live in a very cerebral age. We live in a world where we want to think things. And I just want to say that experiencing God is more than just thinking things about God. John Wesley is one of my favorite Anglicans. And if you've been lied to and told that John Wesley was a Methodist, I just want to clear that up. He died an Anglican, and then people turned it into Methodism. So John Wesley is one of us. He is an Anglican. I've been to his home. I've stood in the room where he died, and it felt very Anglican in that room, I can assure you. When John Wesley experienced God, when he came to know Jesus at a place called Aldersgate, Interestingly enough, after failing as a pastor, he really had a conversion experience. Uh, he came to Georgia and failed, and then he went back to England and then got it, got, it, got it figured out. This is what he says, my heart was strangely warmed. The Holy Spirit wants to strangely warm your heart. How would your relationships be different? How would your faith be different if your heart were warmed? Some of us, what we need more than anything else is a warming of our hearts. We need the Spirit to come and animate us so that we don't believe the lie that we're primarily thinking things. You are not primarily a thinking thing. God wants to get into your guts. We're not brains on a stick. And we value thoughts. I mean, we want to think good and true and real thoughts about God at this church. you got to do that as a Christian. But don't believe the lie that you're just a brain. The Lord wants to warm you, and the Holy Spirit's job is to do that very difficult journey from the head to the heart. That 17 or 18 inches is what keeps most of us from the good life. It wants to get into your guts. Jews, they, they go beyond the heart into the guts, the bowels. God wants to get into the deep places in you, and the Holy Spirit does that work. The Holy Spirit tells us, you're not alone. I'll be with you forever. The fifth thing the Holy Spirit does is gives us an experience, an intimate experience of God. Listen to this word. Jesus says in verse 23, those who love me will keep my word and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Just, I think our faith has got to have hominess. It's got to have a sense of the, the Lord, the Trinity moving toward us and making home with us. Most of us were taught to pursue God, and that, that's real. That's right. We're, we're taught to love him. We're taught to follow him. We're taught to do all these things that are so true. But we're not taught enough that Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit move toward us and want to make their home with us. And both of those things are true. It's like the parable of the prodigal son when the father actually moves toward his broken son. He doesn't wait for the son to come in. He doesn't make it hard for the son to access him. He's heartbroken and therefore moves toward his son. The Holy Spirit wants to teach us that he, the father and the son and the spirit, move toward us and want to make their home with us. And I don't even really know exactly what that means. I, I think I can imagine what it might feel like. 
The Holy Spirit wants to give us an intimate experience of God. The Lord wants us to have a loving experience because when we're loved, when we're indwelt, when God is not aloof but near to us, that's when our life changed. That's, that's when transformation happens. Transformation at that point is not like a to-do. It, it's like the thing that happens as a result of it. The Lord wants to catalyze work that is born out of intimacy and it's taken me a really long time to, to understand that I don't know a whole lot about intimacy. Uh, I had a spiritual director say to me um, months and months ago, he said, Chris, you've mistaken intensity for intimacy. And I was like, oh, dear Jesus, that's really painfully true. There's something about intimacy that I'm just trying to figure out. I'm trying to discover it. And so if you feel like a beginner, like you're in really good company, I don't think we do intimacy very well as a, a society. But the Holy Spirit wants me and you to experience an intimate withness. And I think we'll know it when we experience it. Here's the last thing. The Holy Spirit is truth. It's telling to me, um, I'm going to dig it up and read it. So it's telling to me that that Jesus in verse 25 says, I've said these things to you while I'm still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all said to you. So he says that, and then immediately he says, don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. So what Jesus is saying here is that when we're afraid, we forget things that are true, and the Holy Spirit in the midst of trouble reminds us of things that are true. And some of us, we just have to remember what is true when all hell is breaking loose. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit. So if you find yourself leaking truth, like you're in really good company, because everyone leaks truth when things aren't going well. That, that's just fallen, finite, fragile human nature. The job of the Holy Spirit is to teach us and remind us of what Jesus has already said to us, and we've believed, but we're currently forgetting. So what are you currently forgetting that is true? The Spirit wants to remind you so that you'll go, oh, right. Is it possible to believe in the valley that which felt totally true on the mountaintop? Yes, but only the Holy Spirit can bring us into that level of integrated awareness. So there's going to be a lot more about this tonight, and I hope you'll come because this is really important. I, I, I feel this is really important for us as the church. So what does it look like for you to actively welcome and make space for the Holy Spirit? I think that's the question I want to leave us with before we come to communion. What does it mean for you to make space for the Holy Spirit? I think it's got to have something to do with your morning before the day gets rolling. It's got to do with some sort of openness, some sort of pursuit. And it might just mean coming back and listening to us talk about this a little bit more tonight as a next step. If you're able, let's stand together. We went a little longer than normal. Um, I hope that's okay. Um, the Falcons are terrible. <laughs> let's quiet our hearts, confess our sin before we come to this communion table. Let's 
admit the places where maybe we need to make some amendments to our lives in order to make space for God to be open to things we've not considered. Let's spend just a few moments in meditation and confession, and then we'll pray, we'll read the Bible, we'll come to communion, but first let's be still.